When you think about what it means for the student, right? Uh, students, uh, and we'll talk about kind of prior recessions in a minute, but but students are always going to be, you know, potentially even more adversely affected by, you know, macro shocks like these. Um, they're new to the workforce. They don't have experience and necessarily as, as deep a network to rely on. And so there's a lot of things that we should and can be doing um, for students to ensure that they do get good outcomes and that if they are a, you know, May 2020 graduate, that they can be employed in, in July or August, just like they would expect to be if COVID wasn't going on. But, um, you know, certainly I think uh, it's a time that, that many graduates or, or soon to be graduates are very wary and understandably so. And so um, I definitely think we should, you know, touch on all of the things that we can be doing for students kind of from a programmatic level that, that can actually help improve their outcomes so that they're not part of that, that 13 or 14 percent right now. Thanks for joining in on the Stride Funding Podcast, where we interview current Stride customers and team members to learn about how Stride is changing the game in the education funding market. At Stride, we want to help each student feel more comfortable financing their education. I'm your host, Steven Zaremba, an undergrad at University of Florida and Stride team member. Listen into this episode as we go over the trends in today's economy by taking a deeper look at the implications of COVID-19 and also as we discuss what will be in a college student's best interest in the near future. Today we're joined by David Kafafian, who runs business development and operations at Stride Funding. David was an early entrant to the ISA space where he initially worked with universities exploring institutional ISA offerings back in 2015 and 2016. He has worked in financing consulting at JP Morgan and IBM respectively, and is a graduate of Harvard Law School and Lafayette College. It's awesome to be speaking with you today, David. I'm excited to start off our conversation. Awesome, thanks so much for having me, Stephen. Excited. Um, okay, so with everything going on, obviously it's been a crazy last couple of weeks. David, how have you been doing lately? Uh, I've been good. Uh, obviously, there's a there's a lot going on in the world around us, um, much of which is is very disheartening. Um, but I think there's a good number of things that that we can feel optimistic about. It does feel like um, everybody being at home with time to think and speak with loved ones about everything that's going on maybe is is stoking a conversation that's important. Um, it's certainly important and near and dear to what what we're doing here at Stride. Um, our view is that. ISAs, which we will talk about, um, our pathway to access to education and to socioeconomic mobility. And, and so if core to your value is access, then access to justice, access to finances, access to a um, you know, good career and, and a great livelihood um, are all things that, that we all should be thinking about. So excited to have this conversation, recognizing that obviously there are, are crucial things going on in the, the national backdrop at the moment, but, uh, but thank you for asking. Definitely. Um, Okay, so for today's conversation, I really want to hit at what will be in a college student's best interest. Mm -hmm. And first, I want to talk about the current COVID economy conditions. Uh, can you give a little insight into what's happening in today's economy? Yeah, so I mean, look, there's a, there's a tale of two stories seemingly going on right now. Um, from a market perspective, um, it seems as though we've already recovered, right? The stock market is, is where it was in 2019, but that doesn't really tell the story for the, I'll call it the boots on the grounds, right? People who um, work for a salary every day. Uh, unemployment, while you know getting progressively better, uh, down towards 13% now, uh, peaked you know north of 15%. And so 
um, you know, relative to the, the three and 4% that we've become accustomed to over the last three and four years, um, significant increases there. Starting wages um, are still around $51,000. So um, when we think about that, uh, generally, I don't think that that has really moved significantly, though we know that many people have been furloughed or lost their jobs or been asked to take wage cuts, certainly anecdotally. So um, that's the broader context. But when you think about what it means for the student, right? Uh, students, uh, and we'll talk about kind of prior recessions in a minute, but, but students are always going to be, you know, potentially even more adversely affected by, you know, macro shocks like these. Um, they're new to the workforce. They don't have experience and necessarily as, as deep a network to rely on. And so there's a lot of things that we should and can be doing um, for students to ensure that they do get good outcomes and that if they are a, you know, May 2020 graduate, that they can be employed in, in July or August, just like they would expect to be if COVID wasn't going on. But, um, you know, certainly I think uh, it's a time that, that many graduates or, or soon to be graduates are very wary and understandably so. And so um, I definitely think we should, you know, touch on all of the things that we can be doing to, for students kind of from a programmatic level that, that can actually help improve their outcomes so that they're not part of that, that 13 or 14% right now. Absolutely. I completely agree. Um, with today's economy, there are definitely some similarities between this and the past recession that happened in about 2008. Um, can you please talk about the key trends that you saw in the past recession in relation to college students? Yeah, I mean, last recession, what we saw was um, was what I just said, really, right? That that uh, national unemployment conditions um, were were a struggle. They weren't as bad as they are right now. They were kind of around the ten percent number, um, but that college students were even more abjectly uh, affected. And you know what that meant was that um, in twenty ten, studies said that you know roughly fifty six or sixty percent of recent graduates were finding jobs. Starting salaries were down. Uh, roughly 10% for those students, um, which, you know, is partially just probably due to lower wages, but also largely because of underemployment, right? Students taking jobs that were not actually directly related to the field of study that they were pursuing. Um, and then you also saw that students to kind of remedy that, recognizing that their career prospects in that given moment weren't great. Uh, they went back to graduate school. They went back to school, you know, at a 10 or 11% increase, you know, year over year relative to what you would normally see. So that's what students tried to do to help themselves. Graduate school can be a great option, but it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all solution. And so thinking through how to make graduate school more affordable um, and make funding it more flexible for students is something that's top of mind, certainly for us. Um, thinking about how to emphasize which programs do have great, you know, classroom to job site uh, integration, you know, pipelines mm -hmm. um, that can work is super important. Um, and then figuring out for students who do want to just, you know, graduate and pursue their job, what are the career service tools that you can give them to actually give them an uptick in, um, in their ability to be employed, be employed in their field and to do it quickly? Um, because I do think that, you know, those two stats I, I threw out are important. Um, the other piece is just the, the duration of time to find a job, right? That, that uptick mm -hmm. to, you know, something around 11 months, I think, was the, yeah. the peak of what you were seeing in, in 2008. Um, was what it was taking students to find a job. And so you're talking about, you know, nearly a year of being out of the workforce after you've just graduated college and spent four years, most likely at least out of the workforce from a full-time perspective. So um, those were what we saw last time around. Um, nonetheless, I think there's some things to be, you know, mildly hopeful for, right? Um, mm -hmm. A, we did see the students who were in specific segments, specifically around healthcare and STEM, had better outcomes and were able to find jobs. Uh, students in healthcare, I think, never peaked more than five and a half percent unemployment when the economy was at 10, uh, 10 percent unemployment. So, you know, students in those fields were finding 
better success and continued success. Mm -hmm. That's only, I would expect to be more so the case now, given that many, much of this crisis has been caused due to healthcare, um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. healthcare crisis that we're specifically having. And so there's been no shortage of need for healthcare professionals. Um, so I think we can expect students in those jobs to be doing well. We've also, as a result, seen over the last 10 years that more and more students are going into those fields. So a higher mm -hmm. portion of students are in a space that is, I will call it much more resilient relative to it, uh, relative to you know uh, an economic crisis. So I think for students in those fields, they should still feel really, really confident. And then for students outside of those fields, it's really just important to think about who am I working with? What am I doing to remain active? How do I ensure that you know I've got all the irons in the fire? And, and we can talk about some of the specifics there, but um, yeah. does that answer your question? Yes, definitely. I have two follow-up questions for yeah. this. Do you think what happened in 2008 in the Great Recession is likely to happen again in today's economy? Um, I mean, I have no reason to believe it won't, right? I think there's things mm -hmm. that are unique to this financial crisis than, than would be to the last one. Um, one of them being the precipitating cause being around a, a healthcare crisis. But, um, but yeah, I think universities have been on a trend for the last 10 years of rising, in, increasing tuition, students taking out more and more debt to fund college, and people becoming a little bit wary of whether that, you know, education that they were getting actually directly related to uh, their ability to find a job. This moment only exacerbates that. In the background, I should say that, you know, over the last 10 to 15 years, we've also seen the proliferation of, I'll call it boot camps broadly, but, you know, short courses, um, alternative education that, you know, promise a three to six month program instead of a two to four year program. Mm -hmm. a, are cost, you know, sometimes less than 10,000, but usually 10 to $20,000 instead of, you know, 40 to $50,000 per year. Um, and so with that backdrop, universities are, are definitely in a crunch to figure out how do we deliver a, uh, a valuable piece of education that gives students access to the workforce? How do we do it affordably? And how can we do it in their homes if, in fact, students aren't returning to campus in the fall? So I know we've seen um, just in our application pipeline, uh, for ISAs that, that students are still applying um, in relatively high numbers. I'm not going to speak for the, the whole of the market, but certainly our, mm -hmm. um, our experience has been students are applying in relatively high numbers, but are holding and waiting. They're not saying yes or no to decisions, but they're just basically deferring their decision until what we imagine will be late July or August to determine, am I going to be back on campus? What, you know, uh, what precautions or processes have my schools put in place to ensure that the quality of education that I'm going to get sitting in my usually my parents' house um, yeah. behind my computer is going to be of similar and relevant quality. Mm -hmm. um, and so students are deferring that decision just temporarily until wow. they can see how that shakes out. And so I think universities have to come with grips with how do we deliver a, a really good product cost effectively. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the, the education output for the student side. Um, yeah. I think students, we hear it every day, right? Students have been looking at ISAs, um, as an alternative to loans, largely because of the fear of this, you know, what if it takes me 12 months to find a job? What if my wages are lesser? What if I have to take a job in a field that I didn't study? So um, at the very least from an anecdotal perspective, I think it's, it's absolutely true that students are very, very aware of that backdrop. And, um, and so as a result are, are trying to figure out what schools should they be going to and yeah. uh, what programs should be they, they be pursuing and how should they fund it? Um, so Hopefully that answers that. Definitely. Yeah, that's, that's so, those are so many great points. Like there are so many things with what's going on um, that are causing a lot of things to be up in the air and yeah. many college students don't know uh, the decisions of their universities yet. I know there are so many variables to this. 
Uh, what would you recommend for college students right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a tough question because there's, there's, as I said earlier about something different, right? There's, there's no one size fits all, right? Every student is going to know their personal circumstances, their family circumstances better than, than you or I can just kind of sitting at the, uh, the 30,000 foot view. I'd mm -hmm. say the first thing to be aware of is just, you know, generally speaking, what is your, uh, family's current and your current financial position, right? Um, you'll need to, um, you know, manage those short-term needs um, accordingly. And, and that's, un, you know, unfortunate, but it's a reality of life. Um, that shouldn't mean that you lose sight of what the long-term goals are, right? Students, we, we are always speaking to them. We're always very encouraging of, you know, let's map out where you want to be in five and 10 and 20 years. And then we can kind of hopefully reverse engineer back into the pathway that, that may most enable that. Um, but yeah, students, you know, unfortunately just don't have the luxury to, um, in many respects, just pursue the, the career that they, that they want when they roll out of bed um, if it doesn't match with their current short-term financial needs. I mean, I think there was a, yeah. a report that came out last week saying 56% of current college students are saying that now as a result of COVID and whether it's to do with, you know, job losses in their family, you know, uh, portfolios that have, have lost value, um, that they're not going to be able to afford school in the fall. Now, it doesn't mean that they won't be able to fill that gap with you know, some portion of loans or ISAs or scholarships or grants, um, hopefully scholarships or grants before they have to take any, any borrowing products. But, um, but nonetheless, um, you know, that's a, a real need that students will have. But yeah, the best advice I can give is, you know, think about where you want to go in the long term, back into what you can feasibly afford to do in the short term, and then do your best to figure out ways to, you know, ensure that you're, uh, I'll say, maintaining your optionality, right, that you can uh, pursue the degree that you want and make sure that you are working, um, but also give yourself, you know, uh, a, a financial position where, you know, if the sky does fall and we have a, a second peak in the fall or something in the, you know, autumn, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. that, that you will still be okay. And that the path you start, you're starting out on is one that you can actually finish because that's the worst outcome for everybody. The worst outcome is students start a degree in the fall, find out in the spring, they can't finish it. Yeah. Debt from that fall degree and, and don't complete. Right. And so that's where we really want to be thoughtful in how we counsel students and the information we give them. Definitely. Uh, with this uncertainty, um, do you think ISAs would be a good option for college students right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm certainly a, a biased source on the topic. I, I, I don't want to ever uh, pretend that I'm not. I, I do mm. my business development for a, an ISA company. I've been around the space for five years, as you mentioned, because I personally, when I was a law student, had a ton of student debt. I uh, thought it was a fascinating way to align outcomes with cost. Um, and so it made a ton of sense to me from a policy and a personal perspective. So yes, I like ISAs. But um, the answer is, again, ISAs are not going to be good for every student, just like loans will not be good for every student. Mm -hmm. We always, always, always say, and I cannot stress this enough, that students should first kind of um, tap all of the the means that they have to fund an education that are, I'll say free, right? Scholarships and grant aid. Uh, thereafter, uh, things that aren't free, but that they're not actually, you know, potentially going to have, I'll call it financing charges on. So anything that they can come up with out of personal savings or family contribution um, or from kind of an active work study or something like that um, are great options to actually just reduce the net cost of tuition uh, for the student. And then whatever that residual gap is, yeah, I think many, many students. Um, should really consider an option like an ISA as they just try to understand what is the, the cost and benefit of my education? What are the risks to me? And, you know, what we've found is that many, many students like that an ISA in many respects kind of 
combines some of the features of you know taking a lending product with insurance right it, it says yeah, at least in, in strides case if you uh don't make any if you don't make uh the equivalent of forty thousand dollars a year uh then you pay nothing um in those periods and and you know you'll make the payments later but it's not accruing interest in the interim um it means that if you're making less but still over that amount your your payments will always be that same fixed percentage of income so you know, when you're making more, you'll pay more, but when you're making less, you'll pay less, which is the thing that people are, are most nervous about right now. So mm -hmm. um, I do think that those kind of protective downside, um, downside protection and, and flexible features do make ISAs really compelling for students in a moment where they're uh, nervous. The last thing I would say specifically for Stride, I'm not going to say that this is broadly about the ISA product, but because our incentives are genuinely that the more students are employed and they're employed at high rates uh, quickly and making, you know, uh, making the money that they expect, the more that we ourselves will make, right? That's, I don't want to, I don't want to ever hide the ball on that. That's the transparent kind of yep. agreement that we're coming up with, right? When we share in a student's income. As a result, we have every incentive to, to not just be uh, your traditional, you know, bank or lender, but instead to actually behave as a partner, to give you career resources and tools to actually, you know, just like your school is trying to do, to actually try to boost the quality of your outcomes. So whether that's simple things like resume and cover letter templates or interview prep materials, whether that's offering discounted or in some instances free exam preparation tools so that maybe a nurse who needs to take an NCLEX exam or a mm -hmm. PA who needs to take a pants exam um, can actually get that those materials so that they can take those exams, pass and get on to being, you know, kind of a certified professional in their field and working. Um, whether that's network services, uh, or just tools on how to negotiate salary, right? All of that is things mm -hmm. that, that we believe lenders of all types should be doing, but certainly, you know, we're gonna lead the charge on that because we have every incentive to do so. So um, I think that's that's where we can really help students out and, and where Stride really tries to differentiate. Awesome. Uh, just to sum everything up. So COVID-19 is all causing us to adapt to this new normal and college students are without a doubt going to be affected by this. It's important for anyone who is currently in college to be aware of this changing job market and possible change in college tuition. As always, here at Stride Funding, we want to help support college students during this time. And income share agreements can help add a level of security since they don't involve payments until you're earning more than $40,000 each year after graduation, and they don't entail any sort of accruing interest rate. I think this conversation gave a lot more clarity as to what will likely happen to the job market in the future. And it also cleared up the main trends in the past recession that are likely to come up again. Uh, David, it was so great to have you on the show this time. Thanks so much for doing this. Steven, thank you. This was, this was wonderful. Always happy to do it. And, um, and if students have any questions, they should definitely feel free to reach out to us. Um, we want to be a resource, whether, they, whether you need funding from Stride Funding or not, um, we're here to be a resource to students and, and help you uh, achieve, achieve your dreams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Stride Funding Podcast. If you have any questions about funding your college or grad school education, income share agreements, or anything else, feel free to reach out to us at hello at stridefunding.com or visit our website www.stridefunding.com. Until another day, see you later.